Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of After the Peaks. I'm your host, Brian Quigley, and today we have an exceptional guest joining us, Zach Carlson. A creative visionary, transformational coach, lifelong student of human behavior and high performance, Zach is truly a walking embodiment of living all in. Zach has worked with and learned from some of the best coaches on the planet and designed his life around the virtues of service to others, self-mastery, and curiosity. Zach is trained in nearly a dozen healing modalities, including breathwork, emotional release, mindfulness, and nonviolent communication with a master coach certification from the Elementum Coaching Institute. Zach is also a certified strengths coach from Gallup Inc., specializing in strengths finder and Clifton strengths. Most recently, Zach has attained an SS certification, SSC certification, excuse me, in human design coaching, has a background in human communication and pedagogy with advanced degrees from the University of Minnesota and the University of Montana. I'm truly honored to have Zach join us on After the Peaks. So without further ado, let's drop into the episode. Zach, thank you so much for being here today. And there, there, there's, there's so much I want to discuss with you and not sure which direction I'm going to go on this, on this call, but I want to start off with a quote. It's kind of what I've been doing. And I, I feel with you, the quote that I feel most called to say is most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened by responsibility. Sigmund Freud. <clears throat> That's one way to start a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that man. And uh, immediately I was brought back to kind of the essence of your show uh, after the peaks, you know, um, in there visually for me, there's there's a before and then there's the climb to the peak. Um, and for me, that before was uh, me devoting a lot of time and energy to avoiding responsibility. Like my before was was a guy who, um, like Sigmund Freud points out, you know, I I didn't want responsibility, not for myself, not for anyone else. And my life showed it. I was in a lot of pain um, all the time, whether I was conscious of it or not. And, um, so, you know, this work that we talk about in spaces like this, it's, it's not always pretty. Um, it's not always fluffy. It's not always obvious. Um, but for me, it's been worth it, you know, just like the grueling ascent to an actual peak of a mountain, you know, once you get to the top, you realize that, that feels great, but it also felt great to kind of get there and to figure out who who did we need to become? What parts of ourselves did we need to experience and call on in order to get there? So that quote totally resonates with me. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. And I spent a long time introducing you today and that doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And Take me back to 2012. 
2012 was when you were at your rock bottom before any of this accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to dive into so much the homelessness or the addiction or, or feeling lost. What I'm most concerned about is what was the moment you knew you really knew you had to make massive change in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I can pinpoint that moment. I was sitting in my car. I had a little uh, Toyota Yaris hatchback, middle of winter here in Minnesota. Um, nowhere left to go. Like you mentioned, I, I was homeless. I was addicted to drugs. And <clears throat> there was this... Um, conversation I was having with myself as I sat in that parking lot and it pretty much amounted to like, um, well, fuck, this wasn't supposed to happen. Like I realized that, uh, my dream of, of doing something with my energy, with my ideas, with my gifts, like my dream could actually not happen. Um, I was a, still still relatively young at the time. I was in my late 20s, you know, and I was naively under the spell that um, I could just kind of coast along forever and that things would just work out for me without having to actually stop and do anything on purpose, intentionally. And it was that moment in that car when I realized that's not guaranteed. And at this point, it's unlikely that I will ever um, have a a positive impact on this world moving forward. And it scared me. Um, It brought me to my knees um, symbolically. And uh, I realized that, you know, I, I had gotten myself in that mess. And if the shovel works to to dig out, you know, the shovel can work to, to, you know, get to higher ground again. And so, yeah, I had hit rock bottom. Um, I was the one with the shovel. And as they say in some of these spaces, you know, I, I stopped digging. And um, that was phase one for me, just stop digging, stop um, avoiding life, and start looking for ways to do small things that do make a difference. And so there's a lot of details in there, but some of the things that I was started doing is any chance I had to hold the door open for somebody, I would do it. Um, if I was at the gas station and I had a couple pennies in my pocket, I would put them in that little change thing for other people. Um, these are like so small but these, these were the steps that I was able to take at the time. I was in constant mental and emotional agony. And so I just needed to start by doing these ti- like teeny tiny actions. Um, I was a part of a, a group therapy program where we drink a lot of coffee. And so I would get there early and I would make coffee for people. And there I was, you know, feeling completely lost. But I would look around at the room and there were people who were drinking the coffee that I had made. And that felt good. Like I didn't brag about it, but I would look at them and I would think, you know, they're drinking coffee that I made. And so, again, just very, very 
ground level, tiny little things that got me out of my own head, got me out of my own way. And from there, I just incrementally started building up and up. But I didn't expect to make this big quantum leap. Um, instead, I expected to <clears throat> take a thousand little steps. And I'm grateful that that was my expectation because at that point, I really couldn't be let down. Beautiful. So this was more self-cultivated. There wasn't like an individual that put you on the path. I mean, this is just all self-realization at some point in knowing that something needs to change. Was there a mentor at this time? So, uh, yes and no. Um, I, I, I leaned on my groups. And so for me, it was 12 step recovery. Um, I had been in and out of treatment centers. I had been in and out of uh, psychiatric care. And so I had, I had been given some resources, some tools to lean on, um, but I wasn't using those resources or tools. Um, it was really the groups, the energy of these groups that created a shared reality for me. Um, it normalized some of the darkness and chaos that I felt inside. And so if we can call a group a mentor, um, that would be my answer. And then strangely, around that same time, I did discover the Clifton Strengths Finder, which lots of people in industry are familiar with it. It's used by HR departments all around the world. It's very dry, very sober, um, very unlike who I thought I was. But I took this assessment and it completely blew my mind for some reason. And, um, you know, that that was a tool, a total curveball that gave me, again, a mental framework to begin doing some of this work in real life. Um, but I would never, ever in a million years say that I did this on my own. That is the, the opposite. Um, I also think this is a little woo-woo, but that the people who were praying for me, like people who were praying for me, like every, everyone in my life knew that I was in rough shape. I think that did something too. And, you know, made the mystery be, but I, I do think that people's prayers were helping me. I love it. And just to let the audience know, you're a strengths finder coach and you're an author of four volumes of strength finder. So if anyone wants to dive deeper into that modality, you are very well trained in strengths finder. Yep. Yep. Um, wh what came first for you? Because I, I know you are someone who's extremely organized and you need to have a beginning, middle and an end. And you also have a voice that you speak up in spaces where I think a lot of people you're speaking for them and maybe it's because you're, you're further down the road, but what do you think came first, your, your organization or your, you finding your voice where you're not so much a supporting character and your own story where you actually took the lead role and embodied that. 
I love this question. I, I think that it's um, a symbiotic yin-yang scenario for me. And again, like really allowing for this growth to be incremental, like has allowed for that process of, you know, sharing my voice and then seeing first, how do I feel when I do that? And then second, am I getting feedback from people who I trust uh, on that? And then phase two, like actually organizing around like a plan or a project. I love a good project, something that puts parameters around something um, <clears throat> because it whittles the world down to a, a manageable size. Um, I think about the struggle that a lot of really brilliant, compassionate people have around making content. Um, and it's like when I say sit down and I say, I'm going to make a piece of content. I'm going to serve from my heart. I'm going to expect nothing in return. What should it be? And it's like, it could be anything. But then when I say, I'm going to take 10 terms relevant to the um, personal expansion, self-development world, and I'm going to do a deep dive on each one of those terms, suddenly like that is manageable and I can track the progress, which is very satisfying for me. And then I kind of know um, if I've done it or not. And so again, like creating content is kind of where both of those worlds come together, sharing the voice and then having an organized plan. Um, but again, like I, I have had to learn to keep that simple too, because I can take a plan and uh, do it to death until I'm not going to do it because the plan's too complicated. And so there's, again, it's an art that I am learning to practice, um, but one that so far has been and felt very satisfying. I love it. And, 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 I, and I bring that up with your voice because me and you have known each other now for a couple of years and we've been in spaces where, you know, a voice was required to, to speak up and you basically, you know, gave me one of these, you know, when I was talking about my flight plan, I think we were in Inferno and I was talking about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. And it, the, the, the delivery of it was so weak. And, you know, I think the moderator is just like, you know, who, who believes Brian and his plan. And I thought I did a good job, but you, you kind of gave me the big, the big thumbs down. And what that led to was me starting my own company. And, and it, my company was birthed in that space. And it was because of, you know, people like yourself just kind of speaking what's on their heart. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really important to give credence to because we find ourselves in spaces where, you know, it's edgy or it's scary and, you know, you have to speak up and you're speaking up also for people that have not found their voice yet. Mm. They might be on the path of self-development, self-improvement, finding their purpose, but they haven't found their voice yet, but they're in the space. And that, that's kind of how I felt in the beginning, you know, stages of men's work and that you said things that I wanted to say, but couldn't say because I felt I would be 
ridiculed, laughed at, uh, judged. And that's just story. And that's something that you have to hash out. But that's why I was just curious what, what came first for you? Was it the voice or was it, was it the organization? But it's, it's interesting to know through your content, there's, it's a symbiotic kind of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. When I think we all have a lineage in our voice too, like I spent a lot of time just absorbing um, content, books, podcasts like yours, uh, Instagram reels. I don't know if reels were around back then, um, YouTube videos, and, and really just absorbing other people's voices. And, um, you know, for me, I, I have a particular design where I I need to try things out myself and find out what works and what doesn't. For example, if you tell me a stove is hot, my instinct is I gotta touch it. Um, that's just my way in this world. And sometimes I get burned and, uh, and, and sometimes I don't. But really the, um, the lineage of my voice is, is built on the shoulders of giants. And and non-giants, just normal people sharing their um, experience in uh, coffee shops, in uh, on on walks, and so I I tend to really uh, um, draw inspiration from real people, uh, and again, being in spaces, men's groups, spaces with you. I mean, I said earlier, like, you have inspired me, dude. Uh, and I mean that. Uh, it's it's the way you do things uh, that I learn from. It's not necessarily the way you describe things. It's, it's like your actual process. And that's another thing is we never know when someone's, like, taking notes on how we're living our lives. And we, we will never know the full extent of that. Um, but I, I really want to say when it comes to developing our voice, um, speaking our truth, as they say, that um, as far as I can tell, there's always a lineage there that we're um, either tinkering or borrowing from someone else, trying things on. And it's an iterative process for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I don't, I don't know if this is a means to an end. And I say means to an end because you, you talk so much about structure. You talk so much about projects and beginning, middle, end. It, is, there, is, is there something in your life that is not a means to an end? <laughs> yeah. Um... I think the, the umbrella, the biggest umbrella over my life is an awareness that there isn't a finish line. There's, there's nowhere to go, really. Um, I'm never going to get a certificate in the mail that says, like, dude, you're done. And that could, that could be really um, depressing. But to me, it is absolutely liberating. It gives me energy. It reminds me of um, the proper levels of importance, um, and proportion, um, it brings me down to earth. And so, I mean, inside, uh, at a smaller level, I do play 
a, a game with a lot of structure. But uh, at a bigger level, I am aware that like there there is no end that I'm racing to. Um, this idea of be here now has carried me through uh, some really tough times. And um, no matter what we do moving into the future, we start from now. And so, yeah, there, that being said too, I'm, I'm also learning how to um, have more of a recreational um, element in my life where actually there's a concrete example. I, a good friend of mine in a men's group is on a softball team and they're horrible. They lose every game. And um, I went to go see one of his games and they were having the time of their lives out there. And I was watching and I was like, I need something like this in my life. Like none of them practice in between games. None of them are, are gonna go on to the pros or semi-pros. They're just out there having a ball. And when it's done, they don't think about it. If they lose, which they do all the time, it's no big deal. And I was so inspired by that. And it really pointed out um, the absence of something really like with other people that doesn't have a um, like a value proposition in it. Um, I mean, I'll even go so far as when when I sit down next to someone on the plane, uh, you know, we've got a three hour flight. I'll say to myself, I wonder how I can serve this person. And Mm. there's a lot of heart in there. And I love it too. And uh, I've been getting feedback from my life that there are there is a value in sitting down on the plane and just being on a plane, not wondering how can I serve this person, how can I make you know this person's mm. day. And so there's a balance in there, and I'm here for it, man. I'm here to find that balance. I I love it. I, I love I love your sense of play because in, in one sense you are so organized and there is so much structure, but within that you've archetyped a life for yourself that's very autonomous. You're an entrepreneur, you're self, you know, you, you take care of what needs to be taken care of on your terms, but you also allow space to to play and to be creative. And you did something pretty monumental in 2018. And I spent a lot of time last night kind of diving into it. And it's the uniform project. Can you can you talk to the audience about the uniform project? Because I think it's awesome. Thank you, dude. I I agree. That was that was the funnest project to to date, I think. And it, it started where I realized that I was so tired of making all these little decisions in my life. What am I going to wear today um, was one of them. But, you know, what kind of toilet paper to get? Um, what am I hungry to eat? Um, when should I do my laundry? Like all of these little domestic things that, of course, there are people in the world who have bigger problems and challenges. Um, But those were some of mine. I was getting burnt out just having to make all of these micro decisions. And so I thought, how can I limit that number? And one thing I did before the project was I started meal prepping. 
And so I would prep like 25 meals on Sunday night. And I was a, a raw vegan at the time. And so I'm prepping like all this raw vegan food. It was like a color explosion in my kitchen. But then I didn't have to think about food all week. And it was really um, grounding for me. And then I thought, what would be the, the clothing version of this? And uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the former CEO at Sony, um, former president, uh, Barack Obama, like I didn't make this up. Um, they did it too. And there's versions of it. But my version was I bought seven repeats of the exact same outfit. I bought like 30 pairs of underwear, 25 pairs of socks, <clears throat> one jacket, one hat, four pairs of shoes. And then I donated all of my clothes, every thread to veterans organization out here called DAV. And I, I got a fresh start. And just like with meal prepping, um, it worked, you know, and I was doing a lot of traveling at the time. And I hate packing, right? Because again, it's like, what am I going to wear? What am I going to need? Well, it limited my options so that I was able to pack. I, I went to New Orleans and I was able to pack in 45 seconds, which was my um, my record for a three-day trip. I was just able to grab things there and I loved it. And, you know, I did it for a year and uh, I wished that I had continued doing it because after that, I went into about a month long malaise. I felt depressed, disconnected because again, I was like back in this game where I was thinking about things that I actually don't care all that much about. I was playing games that I don't ever remember consenting to. And what I mean by that is like, when you go to this place, you have to dress like this. When you go to that place, you have to dress like that. And I was like, those aren't, games that I care about at this stage in my life. And so that's the, the hidden thing. The unexpected thing is that after the structure is gone from the project, I need to have a way of integrating back into an, uh, a non-project um, life frame, if that makes sense. Yeah, and something beautiful developed out of that experience because I looked at the timeline and did you develop your your 10 laws of your code of life during that time? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, just life code number three, I am what I do every day. Master the fundamentals. Repeti repetition equals mastery. Life code six, knowing is not enough. I must apply what is known. So, so in that you're finding your, your, you're just finding your voice, your, your, your purpose through the practical application of doing. And I, I, I think you talk about, you know, finding your purpose is not something that you go home and journal about to get clarity on it. It's, it's skinning your knee. It's, you know, getting in the trenches, it's being in the arena, it's going through all that painful growth and, and just doing that dance. Yeah. 
And I just wanted to acknowledge you for doing that because it's, it's inspiring to me. And, um, I, I think the, the project itself was, was, was great to view and, and see all your, your different outfits, very creative process. You have, you know, you're, you're a man of many different styles. I'm a, I'm a man of many, many different hats because I'm, I'm bald, but, um, yeah, <laughs> you, uh, you, you definitely were having fun yeah. in, in that experience. Um, tell me how buying a home has changed your life. Oh, in so many ways. Um, <clears throat> so context is that when I was eight, my parents got divorced and that, that wasn't, that was not traumatic for me at all. Um, I actually found this little, I was a part of a divorce group in my elementary school where they were, you know, trying to support us. And I, I just remember like, I, I didn't feel anything about it. It felt right. Um, and so there was no trauma there. What started to be, um, like condition me is that we would spend one week with my mom and then one week with my dad. And so we would move, I would move about 24 times a year, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we were allowed to bring uh, whatever we could fit into one of those big plastic tubs. And so if I wanted to bring all my toys and no clothes, that was up to me. Or if I wanted to, you know, practice some discernment but whatever we could fit in those tubs, we could bring. And I was, it was unconscious, but up until I bought my home, I moved about every 18 months, no matter where I was in the world. Um, I, was, I was constantly moving. And part of what I loved, and this is me looking back now, part of what I loved about moving was putting everything into boxes and getting rid of stuff that I didn't need anymore, and then carrying those boxes to the next place. It was me reliving that uh, mom, dad, house scenario as an adult unconsciously. And so when I bought my home, it was like the first time ever since I was eight years old that I stayed somewhere longer than 18 months. Um, there, there was, of course, like the recognition that like I, um, at one point I was at rock bottom and now I have a home. That felt really good. But what felt even better was unpacking fully and not worrying about like, when I leave, is this gonna fit in the boxes? And so then designing my space too, like, I recently painted the wall behind me and it's the color that I want. Um, little things like that. And then also the, the process of buying the home, I loved uh, because it's, you know, if I had to do it on my own, it would be a big labyrinth that I would be very stressed out about. But what I loved is that there was a team, my mortgage guy, my realtor, myself and then the, the people who are selling me the home and everyone had a vested interest 
in this thing working in me getting what I want. And so uh, again, I remember I was sitting around this big table, we were signing all the documents and I was like, this is really cool. Like everybody is working toward the same goal here. And that for some reason was just remarkable to me. I, I, I loved the process itself of buying the home. Yeah, and I, and I love how you talk about it. It's grounding you. Now you get to do projects, more projects, right? And it's not about traveling again and the return from the adventure and hiding and isolating and not being seen because you're focused on the next adventure. And I can see myself a lot in those places where it's like, all right, I've traveled around the world for the last eight years, how many more places is there really left to go? Well, there's, there's, there's a ton, but it's the feeling when you come back and it's just like that call to adventure again, how many mountains can you climb? How many peaks can you hike conquest experience? And it's like, you had the self-realization to take the assessment, like, hold on a second. Like, yeah, what am, what am I running from? You know, now it's time to build some roots and build some relationships, build some connections and just slow down. Yeah. So again, I want to honor, honor you for doing that because that's like, you know, the Peter Pan syndrome, just never growing up, never growing up. And now it's like, all right, it's time to, to grow up. So what's your, what's your next project? What do you, what do you, what are you working on now? <clears throat> so about a year ago, I dove in with both feet to a system called human design. And it's, um, it's similar to uh, like a strengths finder, or a Myers Briggs, or an Enneagram, in that um, it's, it's a way of viewing the self and personhood. Um, and kind of our way in the world through a, a tangible lens. And that's really been my focus for the last year. And what the project is, is uh, bringing human design to ground level for people. Um, it's a system that is very, very complex in one way. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of different aspects of it. Um, rabbit holes. Um, but I really enjoy sharing ideas, tools, and resources with the mindset that this is for someone who's never heard of this before. This is for someone who um, uh, knows nothing about this topic, and then bringing it to them at that level. I had a podcast that I ran through Instagram for a couple of years where my goal was to get subject matter experts on there to talk about their complex thing in the simplest form possible. And that was very satisfying for me. And so, um, so that's one project that I have going. Um, another is that I'm launching an online learning space. Um, at one point it was called Serenity Learning. It's being reborn right now. And so the name is to be determined. That would be a good name for <laughs> to be determined. 
uh, an online learning space. <laughs> no, but the, the, I haven't come up with the next name. But what I want is it to be a central hub for um, all different kinds of courses. I want there to be courses about um, arts and creativity, courses about healing, courses about different movement modalities, um, and to have it be a shared space, almost like a, a community center or a food hall where you can walk in and you have a choice of all of these different options. And um, that has been a project that has been in the works for years. And again, doing things incrementally, doing them right so I don't have to go back and redo them. Um, I tend to look for shortcuts uh, and I, I have learned the hard way, <laughs> no shortcuts uh, in this deal. And so that, that's my other project. I, I want to create a space where people can come and play and learn and get uh, the, the sense of overflow. Like they've gotten way more than they paid for and they have access to this incredible variety um, where if they want to learn something heavy and intense, they've got an option. If they have a few hours to kill at the end of the day and they want to learn about something that just lights them up, th there's a place where it's all under one roof. And so that's that. I would say that's another project of mine. I love it. Creating a big impact out there. Thank you. You say, what if everlasting happiness is really developing everlasting resilience? Mm. So is life just a whole series of in process and painful growth? And because right now you're focusing on this new endeavor, is there parts of you that come up that are like, we can't do that. And you just, you have so much foundational experience that you know, that's just a story and you just press on, even though it's painful, hmm. you're still pressing forward. Ooh, I hope everyone gets to be interviewed by you, dude. Um, that this puts me into a really cool space. Uh, one, I do want to say really clearly that uh, for me and for a lot of the people who I've supported in this work and a lot of the men in circles, like the growth isn't all painful, right? Um, I think that that is maybe the part that gets the most attention. Um, but in my experience, you know, just like climbing a mountain. There are parts that are painful. There are parts that are beautiful. There are parts that are strenuous and there are parts that are easy. And so for me, it's about making room for, uh, for all the different variables and um, cultivating a, a mindset, an inner state where when it gets difficult, I'm not surprised. Um, I don't resent it. Um, I spent a lot of time like resenting any kind of obstacle in my path. Um, and so for me, it's, you know, resilience um, is about acknowledging that I don't know the whole story. It's like the story of that farmer 
who has five horses and they all get away. And his neighbors say, oh my gosh, aren't you devastated? And the farmer says, maybe. And then the horses return the next day and they bring with them 25 other wild horses with them. So he just gets 25 horses for free. And the neighbors are like, aren't you delighted? And he says, maybe. And then his son is breaking the horses and he um, twists his ankle and can't walk. And the neighbors say, your son can't help you. Aren't you devastated? He says, maybe, 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 maybe. And then the general's coming to town and his son can't go to war because he's got a broken leg. And the villagers say, aren't you so grateful? And the farmer says, maybe. And it's that mindset of maybe that has carried me through difficulty um, because I don't know the whole picture, what, what was chaos, what was um, a challenge, what was um, annoying at one stage in the game turned out to be the biggest blessing uh, in my life. And then the attitude of maybe also helps me uh, when things are going my way and really easy, I don't cling to that anymore. I don't say, oh, I need, I need to hold on to this joy or I need to hold on to this feeling of peace. I just allow it to be there. Um, I don't make it bigger or smaller than it is. I don't cling to either way. And to me, that's one approach to resilience. Um, but again, like I, 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 I think that we are wise to strengthen the parts of ourselves that give up at the first sign of, of obstacle. Um, but then we're also wise to remember that it isn't just this big slog. Like nobody would ever do any kind of inner work if it was only difficult, right? Totally. Yeah, and you bring such a palette of modality mm. so you can go there. You don't go one way, I feel like, with psychotherapy perhaps. It's just so linear and focused about what's wrong with you and you need to do this. And it's just like coaching on the other hand, it's just like, you know, you can get reviews. People can actually talk about their experience with you on <laughs> online. You can't review a, a therapist, right? So it's just like, you bring the palette to, to the game and I, I've been thinking about this a lot. So it's, it's like you have Jordan Peterson on one hand, who's super, super theory. And if you listen to him talk, it's so engaging. And then you forget what he said five minutes later. And then you have like on the other end, you have like Jocko Willink or David Goggins who are like so in your face. So you, you kind of like are able to kind of utilize all of that. And I don't know exactly what it is, but pedag pedagogy it, does that kind of talk about the different perceptions of of all this stuff where you have like reflection, you have action, there's there's all different ways to look at something? Yeah. I mean, I, I consider pedagogy like the, the uh, science or the dynamic of how we learn things. It's like the, the, the science of learning and, and, you know, just like when the carpenter shows up to the work site, he doesn't just have one tool in his tool belt. He doesn't just come with a hammer, 
right? He'll need the hammer, but he's got a whole tool belt. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, like we all have developed tools and skills that are transferable along the way. Nobody in my experience is ever starting from scratch. Um, a good example is, you know, we see people come out of uh, maybe a corporate environment and go into a yoga environment, you know, like they do a career shift that on the surface, it's like that has nothing to do with the other, but that person is bringing all of those skills that they learned uh, in business um, to a new scenario. And maybe you don't do as many spreadsheets in yoga, but having uh, an inner sense of how you organize time, you can bring that anywhere. Um, having a sense of what our limitations and strengths are, being able to talk to people, being able to read uh, a room, like those are all things that we learn in one area that we can bring to another. And so when it comes down to it, like, you know, we're not starting from scratch um, ever. And if we start applying ourselves intentionally, and maybe that starts with a book, maybe that starts with this podcast, um, maybe that starts with a conversation, you know, we, we can build, I think we can build things more or we can build things more quickly with intention than we can when we're just floating around. Right. And you, there, there needs to be some practical application and that's one big thing with this podcast in that this was the 600 pound gorilla in the room for a year in theory, hmm. right? This is too difficult. I don't know audio video who's going to listen to me. It needs to be so mass produced. I need to hire an agency. Who is this guy? Who's my co-host? Do I you know, like, I swear that was my like experience for like the first six months. And then I just pulled the plug because it was so overwhelming. So my intention with this podcast is not a means to an end. It's definitely an experiment, but I, I want to fail forward. I want to have like no edits on this. I want to have people be like, Hey, you, you forgot to do this or, you know, you shouldn't, you should need this. And, and it's just like, yeah, I know, you know, I know like I'm learning. Yes. Right. So just being, being that student, like I can absorb it and be like, yeah, there are people out there that are critiquing. Of course there are, of course there are haters out there. Of course there are. That, I mean, that should be used and transmuted as fuel to just mm -hmm. maybe make a question to yourself. Like maybe I'm onto something here. Maybe I'm actually creating an impact. Maybe I don't know it yet. Maybe I don't have my voice yet. Um, so for me, it, I, I'm getting more excited with, these conversations because it, it is my true self coming out. There's a big difference from this conversation from my first one, but I wouldn't know this without actual practical application. So that's so important for all of us listening to like, whatever that resistance is, whatever's holding you back, like just fucking go for it. I so. love that dude. And it reminds me of like, um, I can read every book that's ever been written about patience. I can watch all the YouTube videos. I can go to the, the medical science of what's happening in the body when I'm impatient. 
Um, I can learn everything that there is to know conceptually, theoretically, and building a mental framework is, is important. I just made a post about that uh, an hour ago, but I'm not going to actually develop patience until I have to wait in line when I don't want to, uh, until, you know, there's a dog barking when I'm trying to sleep, until I hit all the red lights when I'm running late. Like, that's actually how we develop things like patience. And so, again, like, I think let's prepare uh, best we can. Um, but then if we wait to feel ready, nine times out of 10, we're probably going to be waiting forever on that. And so just to honor you a little bit, like I had a front row seat to that year that you were thinking about starting a space like this. And then overnight, and in big air quotes, overnight, uh, you just went all in, dude. And that's another example of we, we just don't know who's watching, who's paying attention, who we're going to inspire. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the people who give us the most criticism are the ones who are paying the most attention to what we're doing, which is a little ironic. Yeah, I, I had that conversation with, um, I believe it was Jeremy about why am I playing small? It was brought to my attention last year at a retreat in California. And I just didn't understand that. And now I do, you know, there's something in parts of my life that was definitely holding me back and I didn't know what it was. And, um, it's just a culmination of a lot of stuff, but when there's that release and you can be like, Oh shit, I was, I was holding myself back. So in, in this new chapter, um, where things are going good and the body wants to get back to that familiarity. Can you, can you talk about what's really going on there subconsciously and how that manifests consciously in, in, in relationship and business and, and everything, how, how those, how those patterns like, will like, because I know from 2012, to 2018 for you, like that was a huge stride for you. That, that had to be painful for you. That, that transmutation from then until 18, that six year stretch, tremendous growth, but tremendous pain. Hmm. So can you kind of walk us through like what that is? Like, Sabotage. Yeah, I was just going to clarify. Are we talking about self-sabotage? <laughs> uh, yeah. Self-sabotage, yeah. So, yeah, again, it, it, for me, it does boil down to expectations. If we can manage our expectations, I think we're ahead of the game. Um, expecting it to all be easy, I think, is um, uh, wrong or not helpful. And expecting it all to be hard is equally as unhelpful. And so just expecting it to be and then developing uh, a sense that it's not a problem until it's a problem. And so far, I've been able to handle all the problems that have come my way. That's like the cringy, simple version of it that, again, has changed my life. And so what's happening when we self-sabotage, there, there's a way of seeing it 
that involves the, the nervous system. And so we've all heard those stories about people who um, they, they don't have very much money and then they win the lottery for millions and millions of dollars. And then a year later, they're, they're right back to where they were before or worse. And uh, one way to look at that is that the, that person didn't have the capacity um, in terms of a nervous system capacity to hold that much money. And we can say that money gives people choices. Um, it gives people opportunities that they didn't have before. And so the nervous system was wired around money in this example for let's say $25,000 a year. And that was what was familiar. That was what was um, expected. And then they get a windfall of $10 million trying to fit $10 million into uh, wiring for $25,000 is a impossible task. And so that's called a window of tolerance. And so our window of tolerance is how much uh, change, how much newness, how much unpredictability, how much tension, how much pressure, including joy, like the, the you stress, the good stress, how much can we hold without losing our frame, uh, without going and sabotaging it to that more familiar space? And um, in a relationship, uh, the same dynamic is there. Let's say that we have been watching a lot of romantic comedy movies and we want a relationship just like that, you know, just like Matthew McConaughey has. And we get that girl. Well, have we done the work to really hold the responsibilities of a relationship like that? Have we done the, the work? Can our nervous system handle the, um, the, the pressure of an argument when things aren't perfect? Um, just like with money in relationships, same thing happens in a business. Uh, if a business for us grows way, way too fast and we don't have a team there, we're not adding pieces in there, we can't hold that vision. And so can our nervous system hold whatever it is that we're calling in? And the best example that I've heard um, of how the nervous system and our window of tolerance grows is it's like a rubber band. And so we can take a rubber band and we can stretch it out like this all at once and it'll snap. But if we stretch it a little bit and then relax it and then stretch it a little bit more and relax it, we can eventually get it out to that point where it snapped. But because we went incrementally, it doesn't snap because it's been able to stretch over time. And so when it comes to doing this work in our lives and really addressing a pattern of self-sabotage, in my experience, we're wise to expand. Uh, we could say step outside of our comfort zone, step outside of our zone of familiarity to do those things in small doses. Now, sometimes I think it's appropriate to take a leap, right? To, to just go for it. But I don't think that that's every single step of the way. And so instead, 
for me, like I said in the beginning, I didn't feel like I had anything to offer the world. You know, if I compared myself to the likes of a philanthropist who is giving millions of dollars away every month, you know, I would have felt like such a loser. But what I did have to give was I can hold the door open for whoever's coming uh, behind me. Um, I can send a text to somebody and let them know that I love them, let them know that I'm grateful for them, right? Those are ways that of stretching and incrementally over time, uh, you know, it's, it has created um, a greater window of tolerance and sort of like what I was saying before is it's never over. Um, you know, I still regularly find myself in places where it's like I actually need to do some real conscious inner work. Um, you know, I might be up in my head resenting somebody still. Um, I might be comparing myself to someone else and like, you know, beginning to beat myself up. I may be, uh, you know, took on too much. You know, this, to me, one of the things that I like to do is to normalize that, you know, even people who are playing a big game, you know, they, they still meet with the whole variety of ups and downs. And it's the story that we tell, like you said, about what that means. To me, that makes the difference. Yeah, and you talk about leap, taking big leaps. And as a lone wolf, this sounds like brutal to go all to, to, to go through all this enduring and change and experience alone. Right. So when you do take these leaps, I, I think the importance of men's work and a community and support and containers and other people to to be like, I got your back. I see you. I see what you're going through. You know, people who are way down the line, like yourself, who inspired me, who is coming into a room of like serious professionals just in, in what they do, but we're all human, right? You just have a lot more experience than, than others and you're sharing that. So how, how important to you is, is men's work and these containers and how has that shaped who you are today? Well, I think you just said it, um, that, you know, it takes uh, time and it takes uh, in some way connection with someone who isn't me or someone who isn't us. Uh, there's a, uh, a spiritual model called uh, to be magnetic and they talk about expanders. And so expanders are people who are um, a little bit further down the road than we are, and they model for us what is possible. Um, there's another kind of expander of someone who triggers us, uh, who maybe has something we want and we feel envious of them, and it inspires us to, to grow or to change. And so either way, um, being, having access to people uh, real live people. Like I think uh, Instagram is a place that maybe is hit or miss on this, but having a men's group 
um, having a, a healing group of some sort. For me, it was 12-step recovery for a long time. Um, having uh, friends with shared values uh, to me is the kind of essential ingredient in that because you mentioned being a lone wolf like that used to be a badge of honor for me uh, I would routinely say things like uh, you know I can do all of this on my own and it was miserable um, and so I think having real live people who are showing us and modeling for us what is possible. They're not trying to upsell us on anything. They're not trying to get us to join their program. Like they're just there having us witness them and then having them witness us. That to me is part of the foundational game-changing energy and practice of expansion, of growth, of transformation. I love that word expansion. And I, I think myself, we can get caught in the pursuit of money and it's just so backwards when you are just looking at things in a linear way as a means to an end. And as, as we close out our, our conversation, I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge you for, for bringing such a, a robust personality to this space. Cause I, I never know what I'm going to get with you ever. And, and I think that's, um, just your, 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 your colorful personality, your experience, your, your depth, you come at it from so many different directions. So just wanted to say thank you, brother. And, um, that brings us to, to an end of the fifth episode of after the peaks. And I, wanted to extend my heartfelt thank you to Zach for not only sharing your, your insights and relatability, but just bringing your heart to this conversation today. Until next time, keep spreading positivity, making a difference and embracing the extraordinary in your own lives. Take care and we'll catch you on the next episode of After the Peak.